0: To speak of the kingship of Christ in a way that's comprehensible to us, we need to recognize the human need that we have for peace. That is for having all of our affairs in the world such that we can be individually and collectively free to pursue goodness. Mankind has proposed opposing plans of how to bring about this tranquility of order, as it's called. Modern philosophies and many wars are testimonies to these conflicting proposals for peace. Many of these have come and gone, but they have left their scars on world history and on our consciences. The Catholic Church alone has withstood these and will continue to do so because the blueprint for peace is one that's already been given. It does not need to be invented by thinkers, dreamers, and rulers of this world. It only needs to be admitted and implemented. The Church has known all along that Christ only is the foundation of peace. He's represented as an earthly king to indicate that he has an empire. Christ is king in this analogous title. As kings are to this world, so is Christ to his kingdom a kingdom that's not only spiritual, although it is that primarily, but also temporal, that is, in this world. This means that our Savior, by right, must not be excluded from temporal affairs. As king, he has a threefold power, legislative, judicial, and executive, so teaches Pius XI, who instituted this feast for the church. By these means, Christ is to rule all men, individually and socially, which is to say that they must be each and every one, no matter of what nation or false religion subject to him, subject to Jesus Christ. This is then a sweeping, comprehensive expanse of the kingdom of Christ, not a selective, provincial, or sectarian reach. This means then that in making laws, In administering justice and operating human institutions, all men, severally and all nations, are obliged to pay honor and obedience to their one Lord and King, who is Jesus Christ. This is theocracy in the fine sense of the term that is a manner of government in which God is recognized as the supreme civil ruler. There were primitive and pagan societies that recognized this in principle, and in the modern world, Islam is one of the outstanding remnants of theocratic claims. But the Catholic Church stakes her claims for Christ's rule to be absolute and all-encompassing for all men, because the one and only God became a particular man, he of whose reign there shall be no end, as we sing in the Credo, cuius regni non erit finis. All that we know to be truth right, goodness, wholesomeness, and beauty comes from our Christ and not from any other source. He therefore reigns in all men, at least to some extent in their minds and hearts, whether they know him or not. In other words, Every true assertion of every man is some testimony of the presence of the one and same Christ in the mind. Every good act of any man and every aspiration he may have towards goodness is a witness to the presence of Christ in the wills of men. Furthermore, all that is genuine charity and every deed of human mercy is an expression of God who is love incarnate, that is, of Christ in men's hearts. And so, in this special sense, there's no escaping the theocracy of Christ. But he can be opposed Besides Islam and the many ideological systems, religious or not, fabricated to dominate the minds and the nations of men, we in the Western world have the lethal plague of secularism which is now successfully infecting our societies. This is an evil spirit that has been lurking under the surface for a long time, ever since the founding of the church, actually, but is now exposed to the full light of day. In essence, in its primary objective, secularism aims to subvert, to overthrow the empire of Christ, which is inescapably his personally in minds, wills, and hearts of every individual and corporately through governments and every other human institution. With the persistent badgering of anti-Christian slogans, the propaganda for the gospel of secularism, the unremitting besieging of the moral sensibilities of men through sensuality, impurity, and the dogma of selfism, the storm of protest raised, being against the rights of the Catholic Church to be the teacher of all nations, to make laws and to govern peoples and everything that pertains to man's salvation, these rights of Christ the King are being mightily, forcefully, powerfully denied. The initial and requisite step for secularism to succeed is to convince everyone, including Catholics, that other religions are on the same level as Catholicism. Only in this way, by way of reducing or leveling the influence of the church, could the state ever have attempted To subject the church to itself, to be put at the whim of worldly leaders. Toleration is the key word of our time, but this is only an intermediate step. The goal to be sought is to dispense with God the elimination of the church. Atheism and secularism go hand in hand towards the creation of the new order of the world whose prince has long been awaiting his opportunity in our country. His time has now come, even though it has not quite yet succeeded. The movement away from Christ, again, away from people's souls as individuals and from their societies, is showing its deplorable effects. It's rotting us. It's killing us. There's more discord, litigation, crime, dysfunction in society than we can handle. As a consequence, the secular religion of the state must ever more forcefully assert itself to control every aspect of our corporate and personal lives. We're under siege. We're being enthralled, crippled by secularism in the Western world. And the results are inevitable. We've lost our peace. It's beyond our reach no peace in our consciences, no peace in our disordered homes, no peace in the rivalry of the workplace, no peace in the troubled and toxic environment of our schools, no peace in our neighborhoods, and dare I say it, no peace in the church itself to the degree that Catholics have violated the sanctuaries of their own souls with this secular religion and have come as a consequence to be divided one from another, indeed, to have become separated from the Lord himself. This is partly as much our fault as anybody else's. We've been too slow and timid to engage in the conflict. Or we have been opposed with weak resistance, allowing the enemies of the church to become progressively bolder in their attack. We, the beleaguered soldiers of Christ's army, have to fight under the banner of our king fired up with apostolic zeal to win over once again the minds and the hearts of men who have become estranged from him. We need to defend the rights of our king. This is the reason we have this feast day of Christ who has been cast from public life, who has been despised, neglected, ignored. as I have now frequently asserted, it appears that we can do little directly to battle effectively for the rights of Christ in the public forum. We make some pitiful and paltry efforts in our pro-life voting, often to no avail. We accept all too agreeably the palliative assurances of our elected representatives to be doing their part on behalf of what's right. We engage infrequently and unconvincingly in our talking and our writing for good causes against the propaganda of the devils. Too little, too late. Even so, the public forum can't be forsaken it's still necessary to protect what little remains of a Christ-driven order. Indirectly, however, I believe a great deal can still be done. These means are through personal conversion, that determination to stay clear of this infection which is all about us. And through another kind of voting, the suffrages to God, by ways of penances, reparation, and the invocation of the holy angels and the saints of heaven to join with us. My only skepticism here is that such an appeal to you and to others will fall on deaf ears. We don't do these things. And thus we become unwitting partners with the corruptors simply by defaulting our religious obligations. We're in a sad state and the whole mystical body of Christ is weaker due to our negligence giving Christ glory is the duty of his loyal subjects. To be subject to Christ means to subject ourselves willingly, deliberately to the rule Christ rightly has over us. Another word for this is enslavement to Christ. That may sound very disagreeable to our ears and repugnant to our spirit of independence, but it's not a foreign term to the gospel. St. Paul, for one, thought of himself as Christ's slave, and the same for John the Baptist. Enslaving our minds to Christ's truth, enslaving our wills to his commandments, enslaving our hearts to his love. There is freedom, there is order, and there is peace. May his kingdom come that is the kingdom of Christ, the King.